And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots. Welcome through. to... Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And just when you thought you might have had the summer off, Jay, just when you thought you could do a deep dive into the current roster, Kevin Durant decided to have a meeting with Joe Tsai and the the executives with the Brooklyn Nets. And he said, my trade demand is still in place. And it's either me or Steve Nash and Sean Marks. And it seems like, uh, from what Joe Tsai, the owner of the the Nets, tweeted, that he was going to go with uh, Steve Nash and Sean Marks also in that report, I believe from the Athletics' own Sham Sharania, is that the Celtics remain one of the potential trade destinations for Kevin Durant with a trade package centered around Jalen Brown. Jay, what do we make of this latest update in kind of the Kevin Durant trade saga? Well, first of all, the Nets don't necessarily need to choose between Durant and Steve Nash and Sean Marks. Just because he told them they need to. He still has four more years left on his contract. I feel like that's a pretty big piece of information. And I know players have tons of leverage in today's market. And I know that players have pretty much been able to force their way wherever they want. But I felt like Joe Sy's tweet didn't necessarily say, like, we're not, we're choosing those guys over Durant. Could also be we're choosing those guys and Kevin Durant, <laughs> although that uh, certainly seems like an untenable situation at this point in time. We'll see. I, I still feel like if he does decide to go back on his trade request and he does decide to stay in Brooklyn, that's a potential championship team. Like They'd be really freaking good with Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, assuming he plays basketball, uh, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, TJ Warren, Royce O'Neal, like that's a Nick Claxton, that's a pretty good deep team. Uh as far as the Celtics involvement, I feel like they'll probably be mentioned as a suitor until the end. They'll be lurking in these discussions as a team because when you look at the market, Jalen Brown is probably the best player potentially available. And if not, like right up there with the best player potentially available. So he's his presence, assuming he is on the table, like Shams has reported he is, then his presence 
gives the Celtics a chance to to get Kevin Durant. And I do think there will be a lot of competition for him. I do think, like, as cool as it seems like the market is right now, he's Kevin freaking Durant. We saw what just happened with Rudy Gobert, who is not Kevin freaking Durant. And and at the end of the day, I feel like teams are going to be willing to load up huge, huge offers for this guy. Yeah, and the thing that also came out of that report was the Nets saying, like, we're not going to trade Kevin Durant just to trade Kevin Durant, like, just to get him off the team. Like, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it so it makes the most or creates the most benefit for our franchise. And in doing that, it's trying to drive up the price and get as much of a haul back in return for Kevin Durant. And so I have no idea whether or not, like, how to gauge how close uh, the Nets and Celtics are to an actual trade for Kevin Durant, but it, it serves, like I think, the Nets' purposes to say, yes, there's a package that's been discussed involving Jalen Brown, because then if any other team, if they want to trade for Kevin Durant, they need to put in a player or a package of players and picks that is equal to value to at least Jalen Brown. And so it's not surprising to me that he kind of remains... Uh, mentioned as part of this trade. I mean, Kevin Durant insists that he wants to be traded and the Nets insist they want to get as big a package as possible for him. And so as long as they, you know, we can kind of maintain that Jalen Brown is is the the price floor for what would get uh, you even in the door for a Kevin Durant discussion, it keeps the value of Durant much higher. And so I don't think anything's really changed in terms of like the Celtics perspective from when we first talked about this, what was it, three weeks ago? Um, maybe it was two weeks ago. I think Jalen Brown at this point, it's, it's got to be frustrating for him, but he's definitely used to it. And I don't think this, there was no like material change in what was reported now that was different from two weeks ago. So yeah, it's frustrating, but I don't think it really pisses Jalen Brown. Oh, I can't really speak for Jalen Brown. We haven't, I haven't been able to stalk him and get his opinion uh, on the matter, but I don't think it's like a huge change from two weeks ago when he was mentioned uh, in trade reports with Kevin Durant. And I don't know if the Celtics position really has changed in that regard because it seems like the Nets aren't going to do a, just a straight-up deal for just Jalen Brown and maybe some other things for Kevin Durant. And the, the Celtics seem unwilling to part with uh, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and, and a bunch of other things. So it, it feels like it's just uh, we got an update on a on a meeting uh, with Kevin Durant and Joe Sy. But other than that, not a lot has changed. I do feel like the ultimatum Durant gave is just another piece of information that teams will have to consider while they think about loading up huge offers for Kevin Durant. Because, I mean, let's just think back to his history now. Since he left Oklahoma City, he landed at Golden State, which was basketball wise like a perfect situation that that team was as great as any team I've ever seen probably will ever see they won two titles they could have won a third if they just stayed healthy and even then by the end of it he was ready to leave and he was on bad terms it seemed like from the outside with several of his teammates he spent the whole year, like that was the most dramatic year uh, probably for a reigning champion that we've seen in recent NBA history. He had the beef with Draymond Green. He went like 
nine games or something there there was some amount of time that he just wouldn't talk to the media not that that's the biggest deal but it's part of your duties as an NBA player and he didn't didn't do it he was clearly unhappy for that whole season um then he he leaves as a free agent he goes to Brooklyn he's hurt for the first year and still during that first year they have to fire Kenny Atkinson who was had proven himself as a really good coach and was part of the reason that Kevin Durant wanted to go there in the first place. I I assume they had, if, if Durant didn't want Atkinson out at that point, they at least had his blessing for firing Atkinson at that time. They bring in another coach, Steve Nash. Durant comes back. Harden gets acquired. They're, that team was amazing. They could have won a title, but, but didn't stay healthy. Um, and so Durant was happy under Steve Nash for like one season. And then the second season, everything just goes to shit. I don't think a lot of it was Kevin Durant's fault. Kyrie had his, uh, the vaccination thing and Harden then wanted out. And at the end of the season, Kevin Durant clearly doesn't like the GM who was the GM that he signed with initially and the GM that he signed a four-year contract extension under. And he doesn't like the head coach, who presumably he at least was on board with hiring because the Nets wouldn't have hired this guy if Kevin Durant really didn't want him. And there are reports that Durant wanted somebody else more, whatever. He he was clearly okay with Steve Nash for a time being, and now he's not. And he has become one of, this generation's biggest flip-floppers <laughs> from being happy to unhappy, being cool with one situation to not being cool with it. He knows exactly how much power he has and he's willing to to leave on his own terms. And and from the perspective of teams that are pursuing him, that's a scary thing. And I think that's something to keep in mind as teams, particularly the Celtics, because of how much they will have to risk by breaking up a team that just went to game six of the NBA finals and is still very young in almost every part of the rotation with the exception of Al Horford and Danilo Gallinari. Everyone else is in their 20s. And so that that's a huge piece of this is can you keep Kevin Durant happy once he gets to your team? And I don't know if any team can feel totally comfortable with that. I do know that you know, Ime Udoka coached Kevin Durant. Jason Tatum played with Kevin Durant. Those guys know him a lot better than I do. They know, I'm sure, pieces of the Nets situation a lot better than I do. But from afar, just looking at Kevin Durant's last five, six years, whatever it is, he is, if he's not a flight risk now, <laughs> because the Celtics are not on his we're not on his reported trade destination list, then at some point soon he could become a flight risk because he has a pattern of wanting to go to a situation and then deciding that situation or that coach or that GM is not for him. And and that's scary. To That should be scary to the Celtics. That should be scary to other teams potentially interested in him. Uh, and it's just another factor to this. It's, it's not as easy as 
you get Kevin Durant with four years left on his contract. It's you get this aging guy who may or may not be able to stay happy for long. And so, yeah, I think the the part you mentioned, but like the Celtics were not on his list. And so you have a guy who with four years left on his deal, who, like you said, approved the coach uh, undoubtedly like they had to get Katie's sign on to bring in Steve Nash. Uh, he signed with Sean Marks like he had to know what he was getting into. He's willing to go and make multiple, I guess, requests to be traded right now with the organization he handpicked. If you, the Celtics, like you'd have to presumably get KD's sign on again, but what does that really mean? Because he signed on to this entire situation he finds himself in in Brooklyn and is now willing to ask for a trade uh, and with four years left on his deal. And so the Celtics are not on his destination. His destination list was the Heat and the Suns both of which seem pretty unwilling to make a trade that the Nets will agree to. I mean, there's reports out there that the Heat say Bam, Adebayo, and Jimmy Butler are off limits. There's also the thing where Ben Simmons is on the roster, and so you couldn't even trade for Bam Adebayo because of the Supermax uh, rules where you can only have one of those guys on the roster. Um, I mean, the other thing, the Ben Simmons story, that they, <laughs> they were all in a group chat and uh, before game four, and they asked Ben Simmons if he was playing, and instead of responding, he just left the group chat. Understandably, it's like I not feel like a, that can't I, be true. I, like <laughs> Rick Buecher is solid, but I feel like that can't be true. Like it just can't. Someone either someone has to have a screenshot of, "Hey, yo, Ben, are you playing tonight?" And then Ben Simmons left the chat. If someone can produce that. Uh, even if it's photoshopped at this point, I don't care. That's just high comedy. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's like who knows what's going to happen with him situation. I at this point, do you could you see KD going back to Brooklyn and actually playing for the Nets next season? Because it just doesn't feel like the Nets. There's a deal out there that really works for the Nets that like it gets you even close to the value of KD. I think there's like a Suns deal. It's like Aiton, Mikhail Bridges, and Cam Johnson. Like that feels like it's the most amount of NBA players, but it doesn't seem like that's something the Nets or Suns are really willing to do at this point. So I don't know what it really feels like the best strategic option for the Nets, unless someone comes out of the blue with some sort of crazy godfather offer, is to just kind of hold pat and just hope that KD, you know realizes there's not a good enough trade market for him right now and, and comes back to play basketball in, in an October. And that's kind of been the pattern for a lot of stars who have been pretty public with with trade requests lately. You know, Anthony Davis was on the Pelicans for how long? And he wasn't playing basketball. And they kept him until they had you know, the the right leverage and got the right deal from the Lakers. The Ben Simmons in Philadelphia, like that took a long time to resolve itself. He showed up at training camp, had a phone in his pocket or whatever it was, and eventually they got the deal they wanted with James Harden, but it took months and months and months. It took sending him home. It took what is now a dispute about whether he deserves the money or not from his contract for that half season. And then uh, the other one, James Harden, like Harden wanted out. He made clear he wanted out. Then he was like, 
just kind of an asshole through training camp and and clear made it even more clear that he didn't want to be there until it got untenable so you could see it potentially heading into the regular season and Kevin Durant is still on the Nets roster whether he's playing or not um and who knows like a lot of people have kind of speculated that Durant if it came to it when the season arrived he would end up playing basketball because he loves the game so much because he's kind of that type of person where if if he goes without basketball for a day it really eats him up um but that's not the pattern we've seen with other trade re- requests it's once the trade request happens like there's no mending that fence um so it'll be really interesting to see what happens how long this lasts how long it takes to resolve because right now it doesn't feel like there's much movement the nets clearly don't want to let kevin durant just like run their entire organization and and demand the firings of their coach and and gm they they don't want to be okay with that so here we are and that what well, that's funny too because they let kevin durant and kyrie irving run that organization these guys think they run the organization because for for a while they did. They did, you know. We don't have one coach. We have we have seventeen coaches out there. Everyone's a coach. Yeah, and so so you you give these guys this power, and then all of a sudden they don't have it anymore. And of course that's going to create friction. Of course it is. And you know the, the you can go back to the first year Durant was there. He wasn't even playing, but DeAndre Jordan. And Jared Allen, there was beef about who was starting. And I think Kenny Atkinson kept starting Jared Allen because he thought he was a better player. And he clearly was the better player. But the organization... But they made, they made the organization sign DeAndre Jordan. That was like that was like the three of them. It was, was a part of a package deal. It was just like yeah. they wasted so, so much money. So you can go back even farther. They've let Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving run this organization. And now they want to take the power back. Um and it might be too late. <laughs> it might be too late. And the uh, I I am still. I wonder if Kevin Durant. I don't think he'll ever say it publicly. I don't think he'll ever even hint at it. But I wonder if part of this is just that he no longer wants to attach himself to Kyrie Irving. Because seems like a reasonable thing, like a reasonable conclusion to take away from the past couple seasons in Brooklyn is that teaming up with this Kyrie fella has not worked out. That would make total sense to me if he just decided, you know what? Like I, I like Kyrie as a person. We're friends. I do not want to play basketball with this dude because what happened last year not only led to the Nets trading away James Harden and eventually having a first-round exit, but also made Kevin Durant look very bad individually because they got to the playoffs and he didn't have enough help and they had no chance and the Celtics were able to absolutely load up on him and be extremely physical with him and make him look as bad as he's looked basically his entire career. So I do wonder if deep not even deep down. I do wonder if Kevin Durant is sitting there thinking to himself that Kyrie Irving, he just doesn't want to play with him. 
And I think that makes all this the sense in the world because I think KD a lot of what he's talked about is like he went to the Warriors to have fun playing basketball and like they played a brand of basketball that he really enjoyed and it seemed like he had a, a good time with that organization until kind of that final year where uh, he was no longer having fun. I think both you and I know that being in, in a daily experience interacting with uh, Kyrie Irving, there's not a lot of joy in the room. He's like just the when he was in Boston, whether it was because of, you know, all the, the hoopla that Kyrie Irving would say like surrounded him um, or what, what the situation was and whether or whether it's just like kind of the, the personality who Kyrie is. He was not like a fun person to be around. It wasn't like the people around him were just like really thrilled with his presence. And obviously I'm judging based on, you know, the the 30 minutes I was allowed into the locker room pre and post game. But it just makes sense to me that like from a distance, Kyrie Irving is one thing and he's uh, your friend and everything's great. But the day in grind of Kyrie being there or, you know what, last season or the season before Kyrie not being there and the kind of the hoopla that does surround him. Uh, doesn't seem like it's that uh, much of an enjoyable experience. And the thing that's interesting to me is from a uh, Celtics perspective, if they were really motivated to get Kevin Durant, like say they were like locked in, like he's available, we got to go get him. Right now, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of offers out there for KD. And it would make sense for the Celtics to kind of wait on the issue to see what like materializes like if they can just do like i think the initial deal that was offered was uh or was reported that was floated out there is jalen brown Derek white and a first round pick if the celtics can do that just for kevin durant i think it's like it's an absolute no-brainer you're not really blowing up much and you're getting kevin durant as soon as you start throwing in another guy like a starter Marcus Smart, I think it becomes like a lot riskier just because Marcus Smart's kind of the, the heart and soul of the team. And then you're you're basically trading away two foundational pieces for Kevin Durant. Obviously, Kevin Durant is much better than Jalen Brown and um, uh, Marcus Smart. And I think there's all the things we talked about before where it shortens your windows to two years. It's not a guarantee. You're messing up all this cult, like the, the culture of the team. But if you can just basically do a, a swap Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant, which would basically what it would be like Derek White would be a throw in a first round pick. Obviously, it doesn't matter. You do it. But there's no motivation right now for the Celtics to run out there and increase their offer because from everything we've heard, there's no better offer out there for the uh, the Brooklyn Nets right now. And so if they were really motivated uh, on trying to get Kevin Durant here to Boston, it feels like the the smart thing to do would be to hold Pat right now and wait for the Nets asking price to come down because despite how good Kevin Durant is, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of teams out there who are like making that Godfather offer. And so maybe you can get him at a, a little bit of a, a discount than you like what his uh, value actually is. It's just, it's interesting to like see like what other, what are the Nets other options right now? Yeah. And I, I still think, like as I look at all the potential suitors and I believe the the three strong candidates or however Shams put it in his story the the strongest candidates that he reported were the Raptors the Celtics and who was the third Suns no 
Heat? The Heat, yeah. Uh, like, to me, the Heat just probably don't have enough to get it done unless they're willing to include Bam Adebayo, in which case they might still not have enough left over to win with Kevin Durant. Um, and I think, like, I, I struggle to see how, how they will come to terms with a deal. The team that, that I look at that makes a lot of sense is New Orleans because New Orleans has Zion coming back to a team that made the playoffs and, like, really bounced back after a horrible start and showed signs of, of real promise. Um, they could trade Brandon Ingram and a whole bunch of dra- – like, they have tons of surplus draft picks. So, you know, if you're looking at the Celtics offered – Jalen Brown and Brandon Ingram, however you want to rank those guys, they're on like a somewhat similar tier. And the Pelicans just have tons of draft picks. And so I still think the Pelicans make a lot of sense because they could trade Ingram, get Durant, and have a chance of really competing uh, after, you know, never really doing that before (laughs) like to to me that makes the most sense that's a team that should be urgent for an upgrade like that that's a team that has the pieces to potentially do it um and then the raptors too like they're interesting but if they don't put scotty barnes on the table then it's either siakam or og and how do you get to enough around those guys uh while still keeping enough to to win with Kevin Durant because if you get Kevin Durant you better be a title favorite in the first two years at least that he's there because you're going to give up so much to get him that that you'll want to really be one of the favorites with him um and so I don't know let's a uh a reader in my mailbag asked me to rank the possible Durant landing spots from a Celtics perspective like where would it be the worst for him to end up if you're the Celtics so we'll start with you yeah I mean I think it depends on the deal but obviously I just don't want to see him in Miami um yeah I hate heat culture I (laughs) they are very good they have a kind of a foundation there of successful basketball and um i think if they give up bam there they'd be a little bit lost defensively but if they if it's like for a package for hero robinson and a bevy of picks like i don't know that team would just be think of just like back to that that uh series against the celtics in the eastern conference finals where the heat basically the celtics won that series basically by playing great defense and being a little bit less terrible on offense. And they still almost lost that series if Jimmy Butler hits that three. I just don't think they could have played the, the like, if you have Jimmy Butler on one side and Kevin Durant on the other side, you can't load up entirely to Kevin Durant. And I just think that makes that team so much more dynamic. And it's just like, it has a, a produced a winning culture. And so I think that's like the scariest destination from a Celtics perspective. Yeah, and not only that, but they're in the East. Right, like if if Durant goes west, it'll be scary to the Celtics 
if they reach the finals again, but you won't have to run into him in the in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Whereas the Heat, like they are, especially if they can do it without touching their core, which again I don't think they can. They'll be scary. <laughs> like Jimmy Butler was a lot of the time just by himself on offense in that series, and you know without Durant, I think that team could actually take a step back. They lost P.J. Tucker. Kyle Lowry is 36 and didn't look great last season by his standards at all. Uh, so I think there's a chance that they actually take a step back this season. But if you add Durant to that mix, like you said, like that offense just changes. And the Heat almost had no chance of scoring in the half court against the Celtics. Like they were just kind of drawing dead offensively. But add Kevin Durant to that, and things change. <laughs> uh, so I, I do think the Heat are the scariest. And then probably just because they're in the Eastern Conference, the Raptors, I don't think they would be the, the best possible team if if they split up their core to get Durant. Um, but I would love to see Scotty Barnes and Kevin Durant. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, and then whatever's left over after you trade for Durant. They do have, like... They've got some good pieces. They they would still have a little bit of a supporting cast, but I don't know if there's like quite enough there to make them a title favorite, which is kind of why I think he won't end up going to Toronto in the end. Because like I just don't know if they'd be good enough with him. Or great enough. They'd obviously be really good, but but I just don't know if there's enough there to to so they're kind of number 2 by default to me just cuz they're in the east. Um, I ranked the Warriors next because the Warriors, like they weren't one of, uh, Shams's top candidates, but they have a lot of trade pieces. They have some really interesting young guys. They've got Andrew Wiggins for salary matching purposes. Who's actually pretty damn good now. Um, and they they'd have picks on top of that to offer. So they they would have if they want to build an intriguing offer. And I know the Kevin Durant history probably means that they won't. But if they want to, like they could add him and become a juggernaut, like just a juggernaut again, just like they were with him the last time. So that that would be scary too. Um, what what you got next pick? My next pick, maybe it's a little outside of the box, and maybe I'll completely eat my words if this trade actually goes down. Going with the Boston Celtics. Oh, they're that's the next dangerous, next most dangerous for Boston. Yeah, because I just don't think it's. I think like Kevin Durant's obviously a great talent, but I just feel like there's a high probability that there's just like a, a flame out factor where. There's immediately all this pressure. You're ruining the kind of the balance of the team. I don't know how like Jay like obviously superstar teams can work, but there's like there we just kind of established a, a hierarchy of of Jason Tatum wanting to be first team All NBA. You put Kevin Durant on that team. I just don't know how it works out. He is thirty, whatever thirty thirty three years right. old of this thirty thirty three right now. But at the you basically have a two-year window. It's like a lot of pressure. What if he's not happy? I just it feels like it's like a high risk, 
definitely high reward scenario, but I could definitely see that situation completely flaming out. And there's just no guarantees when you kind of put all these stars together that it's going to work. And Brooklyn being that exact example of, you know, what what happens when one of the stars gets pissed off and then, you know, pulls a James Harden and basically quits. Like, I just, it doesn't feel like it's the, uh, it's not ripe for success. It's not like a, a no-brainer deal. And um, I think that uh, it just doesn't sit right with me. I don't think it would be uh, a great situation for the Celtics or for Kevin Durant. Now, Will I completely change my mind and talk myself into it if they trade for Kevin Durant? You bet your ass I will, because you know what? You got to be an optimist and uh, support the home team. But right now, it just feels like Kevin Durant is not kind of, he's not conducive to like a, a good environment uh, to play winning basketball. And it hasn't been like successful there in Brooklyn. And I have no reason other than, I guess, believing in Hardo eBay of putting players in line for believing that like that would necessarily change if he came to Boston. Yeah. I, I really believe that the Tatum Durant partnership would just be a weird dynamic because obviously Tatum is on the rise and obviously he wants to accomplish a lot, both individually and with his team. And, I think even if he wants to play with Kevin Durant with every part of his heart right now, and I don't know that he does. I have no idea whether Jason Tatum wants the Celtics to acquire Kevin Durant. But even if he does right now, I think it could still go very wrong. And and I think it could it could eventually sour Tatum on Boston, which would be very bad. Extremely bad. Uh and I just say that because, like, it's really tough to play with another guy of that caliber when you're young and establishing yourself, and the other guy is going to take some of your shine away. Like, it's just really, really difficult. We've seen so many examples of it in NBA history where that's just really tough on guys. Um, and especially after leading the Celtics to the finals, especially after going first team all NBA, especially after it was clear he's the number one guy in Boston. Um, I just think that would be difficult for Tatum and, and who knows, like maybe, maybe he'd be willing to sacrifice everything it took and Eme would figure it all out and Durant would, you know, cede some responsibilities to Tatum and it would all mesh. But I just think there's there's room for that to go wrong too. And and that has nothing to do with how either one of those is as a person. Like, I think Tatum is very good for the locker room. I think Durant, like, he seems to be very well-liked despite his history of, of growing unhappy with organizations. Um, and I just think... I just think there's room for that to go wrong and burn down. Um, and 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 especially after the Celtics figured something out that works, like it's just a risk that the Celtics don't necessarily have to take. But that said, it, like not going after Kevin Durant is risky too. And and maybe you're not good enough. And maybe the Bucks beat you because Chris Middleton's back. And maybe. Jalen leaves as a free agent in two years and maybe you have Tatum 
not by himself because you still have other players, but without a co-star, and maybe that's what pisses him off instead of being next to Kevin Durant. So there's always both sides. You could you could always worry about different dynamics. I just think the Celtics have something to build on, something that works, something that's successful, something that took them years to cultivate and build and create and to bail on that now. Like, you better be right. You better be right if you do it. Yeah, I think my last point on this is just it feels like Tatum takes pride in, like, being one of the top guys in the league. And I think part of that, we saw this with his recent interview with um, Jared Weiss for his kind of golf tournament thing, is that he, like, takes pride in being one of those guys. And I think he takes pride in, like, having his team. And he speaks, like, very highly. And he's saying all the right things about believing in his team, believing what they've built, believing in like putting in all of the work. And it just feels like a, a big risk to kind of upset that a, that a dynamic um, by adding Kevin Durant. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. But let's go to 
on the live athletic app, Grant G, who I'm sure has some thoughts on Kevin Durant. Grant G, how are you doing? Hey, what's up, guys? How are you doing today? Doing it's great. Hot. It is hot. I'm outside shooting hoops right now, and it is brutal. I respect the commitment to the grind. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, so, as you guys know, uh, Boston just passed, or Massachusetts just passed gambling. Do you expect uh, the Celtics to incorporate that at all in uh, the upcoming season? Because it is a glorious day for Bostonians. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know when it will be ready. I don't know what exactly it will look like, but you know, from listening to guys like Mark Cuban talk, it's it's pretty clear that the NBA wants to find ways to incorporate this. Mark Cuban has talked like about having live betting right from your seat, uh, which I guess people have in their phones now, anyways. Uh, it would be a weird dynamic to have like like people just going wild at the end of a quarter because they bet the quarter. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, they will definitely find out, find ways to incorporate it. They'll definitely tap into that. It's a huge, huge industry, um, that the Celtics in particular have not had any ability to get into because it's been illegal. So there, there's a lot of money in that. And yeah, they'll, they'll be trying to find all kinds of ways to, to profit off of that. I assume. Yeah, I mean, they already, I think, are partners with DraftKings. They're already partners with Encore. Like, they have uh, Encore spin the wheel things at each game. I think as soon as that happens, you'll be able to have, there's going to be like the the bet of the game where you get certain, if you bet with the Encore sports book, you get, you know, through the app or there's going to be some deals about it. They're, they're the Celtics um, are a business. They have lots and lots of corporate sponsorships. And they're I just already partnered with DraftKings. Yeah, so they have these relationships where it just feels like a natural entry into sports betting, and if the league is okay with it, um, which is kind of surprising that the league is like so openly okay with it, kind of in the in the post Tim Donaghy world. Packer, money, <laughs> money. When there's billions, billions available that have not been available to the league, of course they're open to it. That is a fair point. Uh, I'm just saying. When they have Tim Donaghy out there, maybe in getting more in bed with the gambling circles doesn't make a lot of sense. But that's just me. You're right. The money walks, money talks. And so, yeah, I would expect the Celtics to be fully dive in headfirst, Scrooge McDuck style into the gambling uh, pool. Let's go now to Stephen G. Stephen G, welcome to Anything is Potable. Oh, hi. Thanks very much, folks. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, great. Great discussion. You know, I was a Warriors fan. Uh, I want to return to Durant for just a minute. He was great with the Warriors. He showed some touchiness, really thin skinness, dealing with the press. But, hey, he helped the team to two championships and almost uh, the third. But we're dealing with a different player now. Even aside from the physical aspect, he's been injured a lot lately. He's almost 34. The Celtics shut him down pretty well in the playoffs. Does the team want to take a risk on this kind of personality? I don't think he's the same guy he was necessarily a few just a few years ago as a personality. 
And that may well be because he spent the last few years hanging out with Kyrie. Um, and the Celtics of all teams, do you want a repeat of the Kyrie experience? You guys came you know, close to beating, the Celtics came close to beating the Warriors with a young rising team already, and you improved in the offseason. You know, I don't think that there's really a good case for bringing this guy back after he's thrown the coach he wanted under the bus. The GM who gave him everything he wanted under the bus acted like a real diva in uh, Brooklyn. And on top of that, this latest flap with the Nets is because probably because the Nets wanted didn't give his pal Kyrie such an extension. So given the Celtics in particular, not just your what great shape you're in as a team, but the, your experience with Kyrie. Do you want to, why even consider taking that risk is I guess what I'm getting at here. It doesn't seem like it's a, well, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. It just seems like it's bad for a young rising team that will be more experienced next year and that added a couple of nice pieces in the offseason anyway. So what do you folks think? Yeah, you, you made a lot of good points. I, I think you kind of answered your question about why a team would risk it when you pointed out that Durant won two titles with the Warriors, <laughs> you know, however that ended, whatever bad blood happened toward the end of that tenure, when he was there, they played some incredible basketball. They won two titles. He pushed a team that had already won 73 games in the regular season, but had lost in the finals, not just over the top, but way over the top. They were so much better than anybody that played, especially in that first year when they were all still on the same page. Uh, I don't, I, 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 obviously the, the playoff performance against Boston counts and, and it's the latest data point that we have. But before that, he was incredible during the regular season. And I think that's fair to point out too, that when, when you talk about, how much does he have left? Number one, he's one of the hardest workers the NBA has. The The stories about his work ethic are incredible. Everybody says that guy is as dedicated as anyone in, in the entire league. And number two, with the exception of that one series, he was incredible last year. He was incredible the year before in the regular season. He was incredible in the playoffs. The injury stuff is, is definitely a mounting concern. Um, his... Injury was part of the reason why the Nets were in seventh place and got swept by the second place Celtics. So there's there, it's a really complicated discussion, and I don't think there's an obvious answer. I think while the Celtics debate, you know, whether to go after him hard, how much, how many pieces to put on the table for him, how much to risk to bring him in, like it's. It's a very complicated discussion, and you know you you have to extrapolate what you're going to get for from him, how long you're going to get that from him, what your team will do with him, and and how good will your team be without him? Uh, and I I think if you believe your team is one of the is capable of winning a title or two titles or three titles in the next few years and you really believe in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as a duo that can can do that and do that consistently, then I think it's going to be really tough to pull the trigger on a trade for Kevin Durant. 
But if you don't, if you think that everything had to go right for Boston last year, from being pretty healthy to having an awesome supporting cast for most of the year, although they were done in the finals, to you know having the East diminished by Middleton's injury and everything that happened to the Nets, um, then maybe you, you want to risk a little more. So I don't know exactly how the Celtics feel uh, in this. I don't know exactly how urgent they are to get involved in the Kevin Durant talks. Um, but man, <laughs> it's a big decision. It is a big decision. I mean, at at the end of the day, he's Kevin Durant. <laughs> like, top three player in the game right now. Like, he, when he was healthy last year, I think the Nets had something like an insane record. He wasn't able to single-handedly like take over the Celtics who the Celtics had the best defense in the league last year, but he's still Kevin Durant. Like I, I, I've listed all the risks. I understand all the risks. I still understand the impulse to try and get Kevin Durant to play for your basketball team. Like winning in this league is about top end talent and he's at the top end. And if you can put him and Jason Tatum together, like I, I totally understand the appeal of that despite all of the risk. It's like, I think at the end of the day, I come down on not doing it, but it's not an immediate no. It's absolutely you have to consider because as Kevin Durant will tell you, you know who he is. He's Kevin Durant. Like, he's he's extremely good at basketball. There's a reason teams were, like, terrified to possibly play the Nets in, in last season is because KD, I think he was a little worn down from kind of having to play, like, 45 minutes every game just to get them into the seventh spot. But KD had the chance to, to overtake a series and basically was a, a big toe within... I think going to the Eastern Conference Finals the year before, like the Nets series was, it, it ended in a sweep, but the Celtics, you know what, they barely got one game one. They, they had a big comeback in game two. It wasn't necessarily like as dominating as a series as a sweep would indicate. And so, I don't know. I just think that it, you have to explore Kevin Durant if he's available, ultimately, even if I would determine that uh, I don't think it's right for the Celtics. And part of the reason why is there's just a huge gap between Jalen Brown and Kevin Durant. There just is. As good as Jalen was last year, as, as helpful as he was throughout the playoff run, he was probably the Celtics' best player in the finals. There is just an enormous gap between a guy who's a fringe all-star like Jalen Brown and Kevin Durant, who is one of the best players ever. And and that's why that's why you look into it. That's why you consider it. That's why you risk blowing up a great thing. I I, I would have to concur. I would have to concur, Jay King. All right. I promised this last week, but we didn't ran out of time, so we'll get to it this week. It's the world famous potable six pack. It's been a while since we've done a potable six pack. Shout out to six packs everywhere. This used to be sponsored by a beer company we won't mention, but if you are another beer company and want to sponsor the Potable Six Pack, you can get a dose of it right here. It's where Jay and I, a little snake draft, three-round snake draft, and we'll be drafting moments from last year's playoff run. This was suggested to us by a listener last week. Jay, you are, um, as some would say, the kid, the god, and the legend, so I will give you the choice of what, what pick you want. I want the second pick. All righty. My first pick. So this is just from the playoffs, is, not from the whole season? 
it could be from the whole season. I just don't remember a lot of moments from the regular season. Let's and so, do the whole season. Let's uh, if, do the whole season. All right. If you if you pull out some gems, mine will mostly come from the playoffs because that's freshest in my memory. Um, my first pick is going to be Game Six against the Milwaukee Bucks. Jason Tatum's performance was it forty eight points, forty five points, just. 46 points in just an absolutely dominating must-win game where the Celtics needed everything that he gave them, and he was just phenomenal. Uh, I just think that that was the kind of the height of the Celtics playing basketball in the playoffs. That was the best moment for what they did. That was like everything, like what you thought Jason Tatum was, like that was him showing everything that he has and showing you that he belongs in the kind of top 10 conversation. And he, if he does it, something like that again, he belongs in the top five conversation. The, that's a good pick. My, my first choice is Tatum's game winner against the Nets in game one of the playoffs. And, and not just because it was a game winner in game one, a buzzer beater that sent the crowd. Like that was, Probably the best crowd moment I've seen, with the exception of like bringing Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce back for jersey retirements. The fans did not leave their seats for like 15 minutes after the game. And then it was just sheer madness everywhere. But on top of that, just the play itself represented all of the progress the Celtics made the whole year. They're on the ropes at home. And Jalen Brown dribbles to the free throw line. He could have shot it. No one would have blamed him if he pulled up. Instead, he finds Marcus Smart at three. No one uh, people would have blamed Marcus Smart for shooting a three, but <laughs> but he had a, a a decent look. Instead, he pump fakes, is is super patient, and finds Jason Tatum cutting to the rim, who does a six spin move around Kyrie Irving. And finishes to to put the Celtics ahead one nothing, and I honestly don't know how much that series would have changed if that one play had gone differently. If the Celtics had fallen behind by one, they were clearly the far superior team to Brooklyn, but that was an incredible moment and just awesome team basketball in a moment when you don't always see a lot of composure. So that would be my choice. Um, Third, third overall pick. I'm gonna go with the. This is a random moment, but I feel like it was toward the start of the Celtics turnaround, and it was when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were beating the Kings by themselves through three quarters, or something close to three quarters, because. That was the start of the turnaround, and nobody knew at that point that the Celtics were going to become just an awesome team over the last few months. But there had been a lot of talk about can those guys play together? Can they thrive together? Can they both have great games at the same time? And around that time, they did it to somebody. It wasn't just the Kings. They like basically outscored another team for three quarters. I forget which team it was. Um, but you started to see how they realized that they could both eat at the same time and play team basketball and get everyone else involved and it could all work together. And you could just kind of start to see it coming to life. Uh, and I think Al Horford spoke about it later 
it was around that time that he just realized like okay even though we're beating shit teams even though the schedule is not pitting us up with contenders like they were just playing different basketball and you could see it you could feel it and and so that's my pick even though it probably didn't stand out to too many people uh just the beginning of that turnaround and when the habits began to change it was a big deal i it's it's a okay pick but it's also a terrible pick at the same time because i never would have picked it and so you could have got it next round um i just think you it's a it's a real reach because i would not have mentioned uh, road game against the Sacramento Kings is the. It's like Terry Rozier at sixteen. You're gonna be happy you got him at sixteen, even if you could have had him at twenty eight. I disagree. I think it's just a, it's an awful <laughs> pick. They had so many more moments in the playoffs. Like I just uh, think you gotta, you know, you know what? You'll improve. You'll look at the tape. You'll figure out, man, it's not not my best moment as a podcaster. But you know what? You you live and you learn from these moments. Um. I'm going to go back to the playoffs, and I'm kind of uh, debating between two. I have two picks right now. I have, a, I have like four right now I'm going to choose from, but I don't think you're going to take my other two, so I'm going to save those for honorable mentions. Uh, I'm going to have to go with fourth quarter game one of the NBA Finals where the Celtics just absolutely stomped the Warriors, outscoring them 40-16. to 16. Just an absolute barrage of three-pointers. They were 9 of 12 from three-point line in that quarter. And most of those misses came in, I think, at the final moments. Jalen Brown had 10 points. Al Horford had 11 points. Derek White hit two threes. It was just an absolute barrage, a statement. It was huge. You started to believe in the Celtics. It was uh, just uh, after looking so bad uh, earlier in that game, after coming, like getting there, you hear about the, like, the the third quarters of the Warriors, the Celtics were up big. The Warriors have this crazy third quarter, and then the Celtics answer with a 40-16 to 16 fourth quarter to take game one on the road. My God, that was awesome. Yeah, good, good pick. Good pick. All right, my next pick and my final pick, the fifth pick in the potable six-pack, game seven, Grant Williams. I mean... If you had told me he was attempting 19 threes or 18 threes in that game, I would have said that was probably a bad thing. But it turns out the Bucks just did not want to guard him, and he made them pay and just made three after three after three. And it was absolutely banana land. Giannis ran out of gas, and he basically just closed the door on the Milwaukee Bucks, a very hard-fought series. And uh, I was not expecting it from Grant Williams, but he, he was a... 40% three-point shooter the entire year. The Bucks made a decision to leave him open, and just to hit that many threes in one game was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, see, I, I didn't see it as absolutely ridiculous. I, I felt like the way the Bucks were guarding him, he should have hit at least that many threes. <laughs> like <laughs> He was literally just wide open. They left, a, a like you said, a 40% three-point shooter. One of... Percentage-wise, the best shooters in the league, ass naked, time after time after time. And the 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 thing that was most impressive about it to me was that he kept his confidence after he was missing early, and that was like there was a part in that game. 
I think the Bucks were up 26-20 after the first quarter, and Grant Williams' shooting was wobbly. Derek White's shooting was wobbly. They were doing the same thing to him when he was on the court. And there was a moment in that game when everything like looked like it might fall down, but Grant kept his confidence, and and that was the the most impressive part of that to me. Not that he hit seven of nineteen or whatever, seven of eighteen or whatever it was, wide open threes, but that he was able to stick to it with the game seven pressure. And as someone who had not always been a three point shooter, like. For him to have confidence in that moment was telling about how much work he put into it. And it was ready for him at the biggest time. That's why it's a winnable moment. That's why it's a great pick. Uh, my last choice. Do I go with Derek White's like father game? He had a few. No, father, there's. I have. I have three honorable games. mentions right now that are better than that. Um, he had a few father games. The uh, it's too bad that Marcus Smart, like returning from the dead ankle in the same game, didn't come in a win because that would have been an incredible moment. But instead, they lost to the Heat and didn't come back from twenty or whatever it was. Uh... I am going to go with Al Horford, his game four in Milwaukee when he had 30 points and was just incredible late in that game. Um, and it, Is that the same the same game as the dunk on Giannis where he like gave him the look after Giannis? Like that, that was the same game, right? Yeah, when Giannis dunked on him, right? And then gave him the stare and Horford was like, yep. Like, started nodding his head. I'm like, okay, okay. And then went bonkers later. Yeah, that was that game. Uh, and and again, I didn't choose this game just because of, like, it was a huge game. It it tied the series at 2-2. Two to two. It gave the Celtics a chance, which they squandered, to go ahead 3-2 in game five and take full control of the series. Um, but it, it's not just for the game itself, but... For Al Horford's journey, the guy went to Philly. He was in a really shitty situation for him personally, uh, and people thought he was washed up. Then he got traded to basically the North Pole and was playing in Oklahoma City that where nobody fucking cared, and then so few people cared that he literally was just told by the organization, like, stop playing at the All-Star break. He comes back to Boston, reunites with the Celtics and was just really freaking good throughout the whole season. Uh, I felt like he'd never got enough credit for how important he was to their defense throughout the regular season, throughout the playoffs. And then for him to have a playoff career high, 30 points, you know, after people thought he was washed after he was playing for the worst team in the NBA, it was just really, really cool. It's it's certainly a good pick, uh, and I was it was on my list. Um, but I have two honorable mentions that I think actually should have been my one one. Should have been the first pick. Um, February tenth, I believe the date was when uh, two thousand twenty two. 
when Dennis Schroeder got traded from the team and everything changed. All the vibes changed after that. It was clearly one of the better moments. There's a there's a pre-Dennis era and a post-Dennis era, and I think the Celtics in the post-Dennis era had one of the best net ratings, one of the best statistical runs ever, and everything kind of fell into place as soon as Dennis Schroeder left the team. It really should have been my first pick, um, and uh, but it's going to be my first honorable mention. To be fair, they, they started my, the turnaround before that in Dennis's defense. Yeah, but they really took off to the next level they once did. he was gone. They did. That is true. <laughs> then my other honorable mention is early on in the season where Marcus Smart called out Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum for not passing enough. Uh, in the po- in, like, That was like the first two weeks of the season. That was so um, early. <laughs> it was so early. Uh, people thought it was a, a scandal. People thought, how dare Marcus Smart do that? Um, but it really showed that, you know what, they needed the the criticism. That was true. They needed to pass more. And I think ultimately it was the tr- type of tribulations that they could get over uh, and grow and become a better team. And so I commend Marcus Smart for uh, for calling out his teammates in, in the press uh, like that and, and creating some old-fashioned ballyhoo, some tomfoolery. But uh, I think it was key for the Celtics' growth, ultimately. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and not only because Tatum and Brown needed to hear that and needed to grow in that way, but I also felt like that was a real stress test for the open culture that Emil Doka wanted to create. Uh, he wanted everyone to be cool with sharing their mind and he wanted everyone to be cool with hearing criticism and realize that the criticism doesn't come from a bad place. It's just guys wanting to help you improve, help the team improve. Uh, and I like that was an early test. And I thought Udoka handled it perfectly. Like, he came out the next day. He's like, yeah, you know, I think he said maybe it wasn't best to say it publicly, but he was basically like, yeah, I say that stuff every day. <laughs> this is not a big deal like I literally say that every day about those same two players I've been saying it ever since I took this job and I I felt like the way he handled it and the the way he handled the first couple months of the season few months of the season when we were all just like what the fuck is going on with him like he <laughs> he is calling out these guys after every game like calling guys basically calling the team selfish um saying that they were lazy that they didn't work hard enough they were soft like he was so harsh with his commentary about his players in the press but he wanted them to be able to handle all that stuff and turned out they were able to do it and eventually they bought into everything that he wanted them to do and kind of took off. So yeah, that, that was definitely a huge moment. Good. Good choice. Uh, if, if you guys have any other moments you think we missed, you make sure you can respond to us on Twitter, tweet at us, tell us some things you missed. Aria M in the, in the comments here, the live room had a good one. Jalen Brown posterizing Maxi Kleba. During the the KG game, and then dapping um, up, and KG. then dapping up, K- the thing that ruins that is that they lost that game on that Spencer Dimwitty bu- um, buzzer beater, and it kind of, you know, it, I was trying to think of like great regular season wins, 
And that one was like the one of their few losses down the stretch once they you know got rid of Dennis and became the true team. Uh, all the other kind of wins in the regular season were absolutely um, just dominating, like winning by 20. But if there's a singular moment, that was pretty cool on KG night uh, to see Jalen Brown immediately dap up Garnett after that ridiculous dunk. So that was a great moment. Shouts to Aria for bringing that up. Yeah, that that was that was quite a moment. All right, anything else, Jay? It's nice to have the potable back, potable six pack. The potable six pack. I don't know where where it went. Thanks to the to the listener gods out there for having it, for bringing it back, especially in the in the summertime when we have nothing to talk about except the same Kevin Durant rumor, which I'm sure you know we'll probably mention when we're back next week. Until then, you guys can please like and subscribe to the podcast rate five stars subscribe to the athletic if you want to read jay king's work uh go to theathletic.com slash anything is potable i'm sure you can get uh some sort of deal that seems like something the athletic frequently does but if you can do all that stuff help it really helps out the podcast i'll be going on vacation but not for long i'll be back uh next week in time to podcast but jay i have a question for you is going on vacation potable uh yeah generally i would say yes but i don't really want a podcast from vacation so i would say in this instance vacation is not potable then we will not pod while you're on vacation unless the celtics trade for kevin durant we will not podcast over the next five days but in every other situation i would have to conclude after years and years of vigorous study and research and running the numbers and doing the regression analysis, I've come to the conclusion that anything is possible. Yeah, buddy. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.